0: Welcome
1: to another episode of the Coal Region Campfire. Today we have Steph Hoover. She is an author. She wrote a book about the Kell Ayers Massacre. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Kell Ayers is a small town uh, up by Mahanoy City and very interesting true crime uh, going back to 1934. She gives us kind of the Cliff Notes version. uh, In the link uh, to this um, podcast, you'll see a link to her website, um, you could buy all the books there on Amazon, uh, really good reviews on Amazon. But uh, she sat and talked with us, and uh, it was really interesting. A lot of things I definitely did not know, had no idea about. I came across it a little bit ago, and then I decided to reach out to her, and she was uh, gracious enough to join us. Uh, before we get to Stephanie, you guys know the deal. We have two sponsors, uh, our original, Darren J. March. She's a certified financial planner. So if you have any questions about your 401k or retirement or anything, give them a call. 570-640-8010, darren.march at raymondjames.com. I'm not going to go through the whole read. You guys know that he has been a loyal supporter. And then, of course, Cackle is our new sponsor. Cackle, I can't say enough about these guys. I'm sure you see them everywhere, baseball fields, athletic uh, events, everywhere. They're everywhere. And that's a good thing um i don't even have a read for them i would just say if you live worship uh, work in the area become a member great banking at least from my own personal experience Uh, they've helped me out with uh, a mortgage that i got i got a car uh, loan through them Uh, i have my checking i have my savings account there Um, so i'm tied in pretty good with cackle and uh, they are obviously generous enough to sponsor us also all of that Um, and I hope you enjoy Stephanie. Thank you. I'm going to be coming at it from an angle, which I I mean, I did, I did some research on it, but I really don't know too much about, um, this whole thing. Um, I I know it was a big issue. Um, I was talking with uh, Jake Wynn, uh, who gave us kind of a history of the Molly Maguires. And, uh, I asked him about this and he says, you know, reach out to the author. Uh, I'm sure she'd be uh, happy to talk about it. So, um, so we are here with uh, Stephanie Hoover, who uh, wrote a book on the, Kel- am I saying this right? Is it Kel-Ares Massacre? Kell ares Yeah, Kelaers. Okay. And yep. uh Calares is up by Manway City, if I'm correct, uh, which yep. is right there in the heart of the coal region. Um, so again, I'm going to be coming at this from an angle where I don't really know anything about it. I know it happened, what, 1932?
0: Um well- The massacre actually occurred on November 5th, 1934.
1: Okay. 34. Right. Um, so kind of give us a cliff notes version, if you will. I I know I'm kind of throwing you out there. Um, what was kind of the, what was the, it was on election day, right? Um,
0: what was kind of the, it was, yeah, yeah. It it was actually the eve. It was election eve, so to speak. It was the evening before the, the election and, um, Um, I I think maybe to start like um, a national perspective might help um, explain how the tensions sort of arose in Cal In 1932, FDR had um, been elected and of course his his new deal was enacted. And um, uh, for the first time in a long while in a lot of states, um, Democrats were gaining favor with these with these ideas, with these social programs and so on and so forth. And, and so 1934 was uh, an off-year election, meaning it wasn't a presidential election, but basically folks across the country were voting to um, either say, yes, we want to keep the New Deal or no, you know, we want to go back to pre-democratic presidency and the way things were. So nationally, there was a lot of stuff bubbling under the surface. In Keller's um, there had been tensions for decades before this particular election, but it sort of came to a head. And the tension was really brought about by Joe Bruno and the Bruno family. They were uh, staunch Republicans. They were um, his, his Joe's garage was sort of like the Republican committee headquarters mm-hmm. for the Keller for Klein Township, Um, and uh, that's really not the problem with the Bruno family so much as they had monopolized power in this township for a couple of generations, and that's really what their election was going to be about, whether to keep the Brunos in power or whether to allow another family, another party led by the Macaluso family, their, their Italian name was Macaluso. it had sort of been anglicized, um, whether that faction, that democratic faction, was going to oust them from positions that a lot of people in the village and the township thought that they had kind of strong-armed their way into achieving. So that's kind of the, the struggle in a nutshell, the overall struggle that led... To the shootings.
1: Now, when you say power, did that control everything from, you know, city council to school board? I mean, was basically they had full power, full control of everything in town? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, and you know, it's really, really interesting because um, uh, Joe, for instance, was a JP. He was on the. He was a school director. He was a director at the bank. Um, He had various roles. And it was very much uh, in the form of nepotism, like his father and uncles had handed him the reins to power in Klein Township. He sort of then spread power out to his sons. The problem was, though, that um, a year before, in 1933, there had been a local election. And for some reason, uh, just to digress briefly, for some reason, control of the school was incredibly important to the Bruno family because I I guess for a couple of reasons, you know, he showed his largesse to school children. He assumed that they would grow up believing, you know, what the the line that he was feeding, so to speak. And another reason is, I guess, if you control kids, you have more control over the adults, their parents. But school directorship was hugely important to the Brunos. A year before the massacre, um, there had been an election. Uh, again, the, the Democrats were led by the McAloose uh, family, that, that faction. And um, funnily enough, it turned out that according to the votes that were cast by the people who had voted, it really appeared that the Brunos had been ousted in 1933. But because Joe was a JP, he decided not so fast, and he took the ballot box home and held on to it for a few days huh. and then gave it back to the county to count the votes. And lo and behold, no, 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 it's not the, it's not the Dems that won, it's the Bruno family and the Republicans that won. And a year before this, this massacre even occurred, there was almost, um, well, there was a bit of, of violence uh, over the fight for that election because uh, both parties tried to install their own school teachers in the school, and of course, a riot broke out and one teacher's arm was broken. So when I say that the that the, the the violence and the tension was building, it really, really was a slow burn, but it was doomed to end in some sort of violent action. There was no way around that.
1: Now, what was the what was the the cultural makeup of Kellyars at the time? I mean, I know this area, a lot of Irish. American, was it a lot of Italian-American in Kelliers, or was there kind of a mix of both, or or, or, what what was the kind of the the breakdown there?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because early on, like like most of Pennsylvania, um, it it was heavily German. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when coal was discovered, of course, Germans being farmers, um, having coal on their land was not seen by Germans as something that was a good thing. So they sold Their land primarily uh, to mining companies and sort of moved on. Then, when mining became a primary uh, financial driver in the coal region, then uh, Slavic immigrants arrived, Lithuanians, Poles, Russians. Actually, the Italians were not the largest of the group at that time. but the Bruno family itself and the Maccalusos Macalusos they um had between them something like fifteen heads of families in an area where you know there's only a, a, several thousand people sure so so those two Italian families really had uh, quite a bit of power and authority, even though italians probably were were not the largest group of immigrants huh.
1: so kind of take us through so it's election eve um right now i maybe jumping ahead here did bruno ever actually get formally convicted i mean i know he was tried and they kept him in the school county prison and i, and I read just a little bit that they called it the bruno hotel because apparently he yeah. it wasn't really a prison for him um Did they ever get convicted or or did they beat the, they beat the rap?
0: No, no. Um, they all, they all, well, we are jumping ahead, I guess, of the massacre, but yes, they all faced trial and they all were except for one, one of the family members, um, there were no significant witnesses that really could testify to his active participation, but the, the, um, of the six defendants, five, um, I believe I'm correct in that, were found guilty of either um, uh, manslaughter, voluntary manslaughter, murder in the first degree, murder in the second degree. Um, They all were tried and found liable for the deaths. There were five people that were actually killed in the massacre and several dozen, actually, I think 26 people who were injured. And when I say injured, I mean bullet wounds. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the number of rounds fired was uh, so incredibly numerous that when people started calling the state police, they were saying it was machine gun fire because the, the um, Brunos were on. It, it was sort of like a triangulation. This happened at the corner of Fourth and Center Streets in Kelley, and and the Brunos were able to sort of triangulate. They were on several corners and firing from different um, angles. And uh, people calling the state police said, "Yeah, somebody's shooting a machine gun in Cal Airs.
1: Now, what did they target? A specific group, or no? They just wanted to kind of install fear for the election day. I mean, what was their main goal? To kind of deter
0: voter turnout, or well, what? Well. It, it, what what actually happened was the the based on that previous year's election when the Democrats knew that the town spirit was sort of bending their way and the overall national political environment that sort of was elevating Dems the local Democratic Party thought they were they had pretty good chance of winning in 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 1934 or so the evening before the election, they got sort of emboldened and sort of full of themselves and decided they were going to hold a parade and that this parade was going to march by the Bruno house. Mm. Um, Probably, probably not the wisest thing in under any circumstances, let alone a a village that was literally um, sort of torn apart at the roots. Um, But as they approached the Bruno house is when the gunfire erupted. And there's really no one account that is conclusive as to who fired the first shot, how the first shots, you know, even came to be fired at all. But the unfortunate truth of the matter was in addition to the folks in the parade, m- most of the village turned out and were standing on the sidewalk to watch these folks march by. The people that were killed for the most part, really were not there as part of the political parade at all. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, one young man was killed because he saw the first man fall. He saw the first man get shot. He took a, the first man to die took a shot to the head. Um, this young football player saw him fall, ran to see if he could assist. He too was shot and killed. So the the people who were, were murdered that day, the people who were injured, girls, teenagers, it was indiscriminate, the shooting. Um, and I don't know if you've ever driven through the village. I don't know if you've ever stood at the corner of 4th and Center Street. I've Treats, never been up but, there.
1: I'm curious to go up now.
0: Well, if if you stand there at that corner, and it is, ex- with the exception of one building that's that's gone now, at least now I haven't been there in a couple of years, but I'm assuming it's still pretty much the same, um, it, really, it really is still very much like it was the day of the massacre. The house is still there. The house is beautiful. The, the current odor when I was uh, writing the book allowed me, uh, uh, graciously allowed me to, to enter the home and actually see it. But if you stand in the middle of that street and think of somebody in a second-story window on either side of you shooting down at you, and you realize there's no place to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I said, there were teenage girls trying to run away that were shot in the legs and in the ankles and um, there was no, it, it was a frenzy. If it had started with a political calculation, it just ended with a flat out frenzy of shooting anybody in sight.
1: Now, this obviously is, I mean, it's a huge deal. From what I read, this actually gathered a lot of uh, national attention too, Correct.
0: Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you the really interesting thing about that. At the time that this all was occurring, the Bruno Hauptmann trial was going on, the the, the Lindbergh uh, baby kidnapper. Mm. In the New York Times, um, there were editions where both stories literally shared the front page.
1: Wow. Jeez.
0: Yeah, it became a national story almost immediately
1: now what about the brunos i mean so they orchestrate this thing i mean obviously they're killing you know innocent bystanders i i imagine they're did they were they beloved in this town or were they kind of like these are just the, you know they run the town i mean did they do a lot of good for the community or were they owned for their own self-interest and i imagine after this public opinion towards them had a shift i'd imagine right
0: yeah and and as I say, I mean, it, it had sort of been shifting away from the Brunos gradually anyway, which is one of the reasons why Joe's anger, I think, was, was starting to boil over. Because you, you have to think of it this way. Uh, Joe, as let's say you wanted to buy a house in mm-hmm. um, he was he was a bank director. He determined whether or not you got a mortgage. If you if you fell, according to his detractors anyway, if you challenged him, fell on the wrong side of his favor, your house was foreclosed. Hmm. Um, he personally now this is these are things that people said about Joe. Obviously, historically, it's hard to find evidence at this point. These are just tales. People were counted at the time. But <clears throat> excuse me, he personally interviewed young school teachers. And many people said he then would hire them and demand favors in return. Here again, these are, these sure. are the myths of Joe Bruno. But he, he was considered by people who did not like him a loan shark. Um, obviously, people thought he rigged elections. But people who loved the Brunos, people who were close to the Brunos, took the opposite tact, obviously. Mm-hmm. They said, no, 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 he's, he's incredibly um, generous to his church. He, is, he built a new school. You know, He tore down the old wooden school, built this beautiful brick school. So it really depended on which side of the line that you were on. But what can't be debated is that there always was nepotism and some strong-arming uh, as part of the Bruno family tactics.
1: Now, did they? I imagine they immigrated. When did they immigrate to Cal Air's? Um Was it him
0: or was it his grandfather? Um, no, his father actually. His father came to um, uh, came to this country, as I recall, eighteen seventy nine. Okay. And he, he was a twenty five year old young man. You know, he 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 came to this country, and actually. Um, the, it, it, records are very, very contradictory as to Joe's exact age, but the prevailing thought from census records is that Joe himself was actually born in Italy and came here as a toddler. Okay. So, so they were first, he was first generation, and I don't even know if that's accurate because if indeed he was born in Italy, you know, his, his children then would have been first gen- generation. But um, yes, they were proud Italian immigrants.
1: Now this is probably a silly question, but how did the election go the next day? did Did they win, or the Brunos win, or or yes. did they not have the election?
0: No, the, the election actually was held, and um, people. It, it was a ter- it was terrible weather. It was rainy. It was foggy. It was just a horrible day as far as weather. it It did not stop the folks uh, from voting. Ah, uh, but. Uh, Bruno lost and lost badly I, his, his, his group of candidates. I think, I think there was a total of 686 votes cast in the village. And I think the Bruno candidates only got 24 or 26 of those votes. So yeah. he was already heading for defeat. As I said, the previous year, it was obvious that he had done some shenanigans to, to change the voting in that sure. election. So he was already headed for defeat, but of course, um, the brutality of what had happened in a, in a, in a village as small as Kelaire's. I mean, it was un, unimaginable.
1: Now, from what I read too, there was like an eight month, uh, manhunt for him. Is that, was that him?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, he, um he, uh, I hate to give too much of the book away, but it, but it, but it really is fascinating. Even after the trial's for the deaths in the massacre. I mean, the story just continued because um, as you said, the Schuylkill County prison was called the Bruno Hotel. They didn't have to wear uniforms. They could get visitors anytime they wanted. They, they There was no, uh, you're not supposed to meet with any visitor privately as a prisoner. He had private visits from his daughter all the time and so on and so forth. But um, he uh, he endeared himself to guards and yes, he escaped from prison. Uh, and then there was then there was a manhunt for him, and that in itself is is funny. Uh, for some reason, he thought that you know, growing a mustache and dyeing his hair black was a was a disguise, <laughs> but it didn't work very well for him. So yeah, he he was found. <laughs> now, he was found- now was he?
1: I mean, did he, did he get convicted or, or tried for? do they believe he was actually pulling the trigger or he kind of was just the, the, the maestro kind of running the orchestra here?
0: Well, I, I'll put it to you this way. Yeah. He was convicted for uh murder and, and voluntary manslaughter, but uh, I, I'll, I'll put it to you this way and um, let, let you and your listeners decide his bedroom looked directly down into this intersection. Hmm. When, when the police arrived, the, the, after the massacre and went into his home. Uh, I'm trying to, I, I actually made a list for for you so you could get an idea. And I don't know where in the heck I, where in the, oh, here we go. When they went into his home, they found three rifles. They went into his bedroom now, mm-hmm. three rifles, three shotguns, three rifles, six revolvers, hundreds of rounds of ammo, firearms, that were not cataloged and 13 sticks of dynamite. Jeez. <laughs> so um yeah there there were witnesses who clearly um identified Joe's bedroom window as one of the sources of the gunfire.
1: Now did he die in prison?
0: No, no, no. Uh-uh, he actually was uh released and did not die in prison. Huh. He stay that that home was theirs though. Um, it passed to Joe's daughter, and Joe's daughter then um, sold it to the owner that I had interviewed for the book. So, the home did stay in family hands as long as feasible. Sure. Now,
1: how, where are you from? how did How did you How did this story kind of attract you?
0: Uh, you know, it's really interesting. It, it my my way of stumbling upon this story and that's exactly what it was is sort of how it happened for for all of my books um or all of my historical pennsylvania books i should say um i was doing research on another project completely unrelated Mm -hmm. and found this newspaper article from the day of i mean at that time from that time about this massacre and i thought why in the world don't I know about this? I'm I'm up on Pennsylvania history. It's, you know, been my career for, you know, years now. I'm up on uh, political history. That's an interest of mine. How in the world did I not know about this amazing event that received such national attention at the time? And the more that I started talking to folks and contacting historical societies and contacting people, uh, fa- you know, uh, families who had lived there during this massacre, they all said the same thing to me. We just can't believe it's never been a major story or a major book or even a movie because it's it's got all of those components, you know, that you sure. think of as a story. Um, so I I found it by um, accident. I researched it with a great deal of passion and enthusiasm because I was able to meet family members of both, both victims and Bruno's.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: and it really became a story that, y- y- how could you not tell it?
1: Sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's captivating. It's uh, Even talking to uh, Jake Wynn, I mean, he was telling me, uh, and hopefully we'll have him on, but... It just seemed like the coal region was kind of, I mean, it was kind of the center of a lot of things. I mean, uh, he said even Abraham Lincoln had stationed troops here during the Civil War. Um, So it's just it's just nuts how how much history are in these uh, in these counties up here, for sure.
0: Well, you know, when you think about when you think about the coal industry in that area, I mean, it's it it, it wasn't just, um, you know, how they how they made the money. It was. It was a way of life everything everything revolved around coal and when when people went on strike you know and everybody relied on coal to heat their homes and you'd go on strike in the winter and it would be freezing cold i mean that was another thing that joe and and the bruno family did they were coal bootleggers um as were a lot of people i think somebody had estimated that by 1935 something like 20 million dollars worth of bootleg coal had been sold in pennsylvania just in Pennsylvania alone, because when the coal mines, when the coal mine operators decided to punish workers because they wanted to organize or because they wanted more money or because they wanted safety measures, they would just, they would just stop production. And then what, what do the people who rely on it do? You know, you get it by other means. So you're absolutely right that the, the history of coal is a fascinating one and how it affected the lives and the most interesting thing, and you, you're probably familiar with this, but when I started driving up there to do research, it always fascinated me. You know how when you go to the shore and you kind of start, start seeing sand along yeah. the side of the – yeah. you get closer? Well, in coal country, you start seeing coal dust and sure. flag pile, You know? and it's And it reminds you just how much importance – it had, and still in some cases, in some aspects does, on the people of that region.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Now, where could people uh, get the book? They can get it on Amazon, right? It's the Kell Heirs Massacre. Uh, they can find it on yep. Amazon? It is. And
0: it, and it is available at, at you, you can order it through your local bookshop. Um, it, was, it was published by the History Press. You can get it through the publisher, the History Press. Um, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of those. And if anybody just wants to, to learn more about the book, if I, may, if I may offer a shameless plug. Oh, go ahead. Um, go ahead. You can just visit my site, stephaniehoover.com, and it, and it describes the book there as well. Great. Thank you so
1: much, Stephanie. This has been uh, really, really uh, educational and definitely interesting. So hey, thank, thank you. Thank
0: you so much. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate being on your podcast. Thank All
1: right. you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.